Butler, I love a good game night. Then Field, you're in luck, because I've got a game for you. Marvel Dice Throne is a fast and fun board game for all ages. That's right. Each player selects one of eight heroes to face off in a head-to-head battle to see who earns the right to take the throne. Gameplay involves strategically rolling dice to activate special abilities, playing unique hero cards to manipulate results, and upgrading your hero board to power up your stats. This is currently being crowdfunded on Kickstarter and will have Kickstarter exclusives. Go there now to reserve your copy. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Elise. Host of Crackle and Open with Mike and Elise. A podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every Friday, we choose a new craft beer from a different brewery and talk about... The history of the beer. What's in it. How it was made. The history of the brewery. Along with tasting notes and more fun facts. After that, come chill with us as we bring you the latest in pop culture news and reviews. So check out Kraken When Open, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Uh, that's a raccoon, yo. What, what are you doing? <laughs> Feeding the raccoon. It's a trash panda. <laughs> <laughs> when the three burglars thing happens. Oh, so- <laughs> and they're all singing the same line. Yes. <laughs> no, notice, Jeb, that when they put their hats on, I'm not going to be able to see facial expressions. So that's on you, man. That's on you. Okay. <laughs> Camera rolling. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Can I get an interview about uh, Betsy's wedding? No. Anything but that. Anything get lost. That? Anything but that. Get my hat. Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms, with a backlog of 100 episodes for your listening pleasure. Boom. Good job. Good job. You really got through that really quick. Really, I did. Really efficient. Efficient. I like it. Quick. Quick, efficient. I had to take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout that whole thing, I'm like, I got to breathe in. Oh God. Breathe, breathe. Oh, how do you do this again? <laughs> <laughs> Lungs, come on. <laughs> All right, Butler. Uh, so we've started season 11, obviously. What are we doing today? And what's it about? Quickly, go. Today, we're doing <laughs> The Machinist, starring Christian Bale. Ooh. Get ready for this synopsis. Uh-oh. Factory worker Trevor Resnick suffers from insomnia so severe that his condition has taken its toll on his weight and his mental health. When Trevor unintentionally causes an on-the-job accident that horribly injures a co-worker, he begins to become even more troubled. Despite a relationship with Stevie, a pretty prostitute, Trevor descends further into paranoia, blaming his problems on an enigmatic figure named Ivan. We were talking about this before the uh, before we got on air, as it is. Uh, I don't know if calling her a pretty prostitute is accurate. Jennifer Jason Lee is a very good-looking woman, but that's in this movie, she's not meant to be. I think like they enjoyed the alliteration. Pr- yeah, I think I think the person that wrote that was like, "Wow, she's pretty." Like it was almost like that. It was a little creepy, like that. So stop uh, being a creep synopsis writer. There was nudity in this movie. I liked it. <laughs> Oh, boy. (laughs) So The Machinist has a runtime of 101 minutes. It is rated R, production budget of $5 million. It came out on October 22nd, 2004. That was a Friday. It's opening weekend. It did $64,000. Domestic, $1 million. Worldwide, $8 million. So it's, 
I think it's more of a it's I know it's critically acclaimed, but I think it's more of a I don't say cult classic, but I think people mm, I think came people later know it. about it. You don't think well, we'll, we'll get, get it. it. That's that's uh, that's the end of this podcast. Episode. Whoa. <laughs> so, but why do you think it's forgotten? <laughs> <laughs> Production company is Castileo Productions Canal. I guess the Canal Plus is that how they call, how would you call that or just Canal? Because that has a little plus. Canal. And then ICAA, ICF, whatever that is. Distributed by Paramount Classics in the United States and Spain. It was distributed by Filmax in the United in the United Kingdom. It was distributed by Tartan Films and in France. It was distributed by CTV International. So quite a few distributors there, uh, which would probably give you a little clue, a little hint that this movie is a indie, small budget, funded by uh, outside means, not a big studio film is right. what I'm trying to say here. So it came out on the 22nd of October. It went up against The Grudge. The That's the one. That's the first one with Sarah Michelle Gellar, right? Correct. Yeah, I think I saw some of that. Surviving Christmas. That is with, is that the one with Ben Affleck? Or is that the one with Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon? No, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon, I think, is for Christmas. You're right. So then Surviving Christmas is with Affleck, I believe. Right? I'm on it. I think he's like, he gets, it's him and Gandolfini. I think, isn't Gandolfini in that? Is that the one with Gandolfini? I it is Ben Affleck and Christina Applegate. Well, why don't you, yeah, because he's like. And, yep, James yep, Gandolfini. Yep. I have never seen this movie. Really? Yep. I've but, seen it. The trailer looks familiar. I've seen it, but I couldn't really tell you. I, I've forgotten it. Also went up against I Heart Huckabees. I have seen that. And also in a limited release, Undertow. That is the uh, David Gordon Green movie. And Sideways, uh, uh, Alexander Payne's film, which actually, uh, I believe Jay might have gotten nominated for that. I believe he did as well. Uh, you had the 29th of October, which is the week after you had it up against Saw. This is the first Saw. So obviously probably the better of the Saws, correct? I would say so. I, two, I mean, two is more what every other Saw became. Well, two was probably, was probably more popular because Saw was very well received. And, right. Yeah. And then it also went up against Ray. Uh, so a couple one word titles. I will say Saw is very similar in the tone, the the way it's filmed. Like Saw's color Saw, palette and stuff like that yeah, to this film. But Saw is very, it's another almost low budget indie horror film. Right. Absolutely. And then once, once, once you move on from the Saws, they kind of get a little bit more polished, which yeah. is fine. They get more money behind them. Uh, so on the 15th of October, which is the week before you had Team America, World Police, which mm-hmm. we both like. Uh, Shall We Dance, the Richard Gere movie. And then in a limited release, Being Julia and P.S. I believe that's with Laura Linney, but I'm not sure. So uh, it's typical October fair. Saw is obviously the Halloween movie and The Grudge as well. So, you know, Machinist, I guess. It, it, I think that's a good release at time, this this area of the of the year. Yeah. I got no problem with that. Yeah, directed by Brad Anderson. He's done Next Stop Wonderland, Session 9, The Call, and more recently, Fractured. Written by Scott Kozar. He's done the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Excuse me. Chainsaw. <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He also did the Amityville Horror in 2005, so two remakes. <laughs> Another remake in 2010, he did The Crazies. And he's written, I believe he's executive producer, and he's written some episodes for the TV show Bates Motel. Cinematography by Xavi Jimenez, who's done Agora, Trans-Siberian, which I believe Henderson has also done as well, Intacto and The Liberator. Composer was Rocky Banos. Uh, he's done Sexy Beast, the 2013 movie Evil Dead, uh, the 2013 movie Old Boy, and then both Don't Breathe, one and two. We did Evil Dead on this podcast. We did. We did it last year for our second annual Fair on Horror, right? Correct. Correct. Edited by Luis de la Madrid. He's done The Devil's Backbone, Adios, and the 2005 The Nun, not the more recent Nun, which is the In the World of Conjuring Nun. Right, right, right. Produced by Julio Fernandez, who has produced 
Uh, is it called? Let me ask you a question. Is this called the the wreck, the record one? You know, with the horror movie where it could wreck two and wreck three, REC, whatever it is. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that how do I? Is that REC or is it wreck? How do people call that? I've never heard it right, out right? Loud, but I, I always in my head I pronounce it wreck. Okay, in my head when I'm reading it. Yeah, I, I thought it. that when I was writing it down, I go, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say this out loud. He also did Quarantine, Rottweiler, and Beyond Reanimator, which I did not know there was a Beyond. I knew there was another one after Reanimator. I think that's. Is that no? This one's recent. This Beyond Reanimator is like this decade or previous decade. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, but whatever. Uh, so you have Christian Bale as Trevor Resnick. He has won an Oscar for his role in The Fighter. He's also nominated for Vice, The Big Short, and American Hustle. Jennifer Jason Lee as Stevie, the pretty prostitute. She is, no <laughs> she is nominated for an Oscar for her role in The Hateful Eight. She's also in Backdraft, the TV show Atypical, and The Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, I Tanya Sanchez. Gion plays Marie. She is in A Walk in the Clouds and Mouth to Mouth. John Sherian is Evan, or excuse me, Ivan. He's in Calendar Girls, Patty Cakes, and The Kitchen. Michael Ironside is Miller. Uh, it's funny because I think different people know Michael Ironside from different movies because he's in so many movies that are not iconic, but like you always remember. He's, he's pretty prolific in his career. Yeah, he's like, Jester he's awesome. in Top Gun. He's also uh, <laughs> uh, Richter in Total Recall. Uh, he's in Star Trek Troopers, and he's in the next Karate Kid. <laughs> loses his hand in. Uh, he loses his arm in Total Recall. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. See you at the party, Richter. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence Gilliard Jr. is Jackson. He is the Water Boy. One Night in Miami, which was the Prime Video movie and the TV show The Walking Dead. And then we had uh, Reggie Cafe or Kathy as Jones. Uh, he's in the Fantastic Four, the 2015 Fantastic Four. He's also in the movie SWAT and the TV show House of Cards. And then Anna Massey as Mrs. Shrike, which is the landlord. She's from, and you know, you, we always, I always talk about this when you see older actors or actresses in a movie, you don't realize that like they probably their pedigree. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Massey has been in Peeping Tom. And if you remember, that's one of the earlier, earlier horror films, Frenzy and the importance of being earnest. So uh, she's got a pretty good career. She passed away, unfortunately, uh, over 10 years ago. All right. Butler. That's all. Field. Well, I'll do a couple more facts and then we'll get right into it. Because I know what this movie is known for, and we'll get into that, I guess, yep. right off the bat. Something I did not know was while this movie is supposed to take place in Los Angeles, it's actually shot entirely in Barcelona, yeah. Spain, which is like, okay. Well, that's apparently it was cheaper to get cars, license plates, wallpaper, well, decorate the whole set. They also couldn't get any any of the studios to sign on to do this movie. Right. So a lot of they have a lot of Spanish, obviously, the Spanish right. production company. So And this was shot in May of 2003 to July of 2003. A little month. About a month. So, no, two months, excuse me. Well, right off the bat, like I talked about it, what's this movie known for, Butler? Christian Bale being skinny. <laughs> <laughs> he lost a ridiculous amount of weight and he wanted to lose more. So he went from about 173 pounds to 110 pounds. And this guy is not like a short guy. And they, he wanted to go lower, but they wouldn't let him go further below 120, even though apparently he did, because they were afraid of his health. And the director didn't know Brad Anderson didn't know he was going to lose all that weight. And he, I mean, he liked it. He was thrilled about it. But yeah, he wanted to go to 99 pounds. That's just ridiculous. I, I, when we obviously we watched this ahead of time. So when you're listening to this, it's been eight or 10 weeks. But like I commented frequently on uh, online saying that his thinness and his the way he looked was giving me anxiety because it was just like, dude. Like, I know that he had a tough time running because he lost all his muscle on his legs. So like all those yep. scenes when he's doing stuff, I'm like, how are you moving? You have no. Like you have no, no body mass. Yeah. I was thinking this, the movie opens with him in a, with a body and a, and a carpet roll. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, that's no way. No way. <laughs> that would crush him at this point. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, I mean, it's, when you watch the movie and you think about what he did for the movie, it's admirable. Oh, absolutely. I just don't know if, uh, it's a little too much. It is. It's. It wouldn't be done today. Like people would, it would be CGI today. People would CGI that. You don't think like uh, an actor like Joaquin Phoenix would do this? Uh, I mean, he lost a lot of weight for the Joker, but not quite. Yeah, he didn't go crazy. Yeah. yeah, he was thin for the Joker. You're right, but he wasn't sickly thin. Oh no, no, no. no. Yeah. I mean, maybe that he he got down to a uh, an appropriate level where they're like, no, you shouldn't go anymore. Because right. at some point, when you're burning muscle and not fat, and you have no fat to burn. That that's a problem. Well, you also have, I'm sure, like the big budget movies, like when he. Joaquin did Joker. There's insurance companies and stuff involved too. I'm pretty sure he's getting physicals, and they're like, "No, no, no! Now, now you're a uh, liability." Oh yeah. Well, Whereas look, here, but it's independent. So who's telling Christian Bale? Oh yeah, no, it's true a liability. But also look at look at uh, the Jason Momoa commercial that was a couple of years ago at the Super Bowl when he's pulling off all his. Oh, and, he and that's all. Yeah, guy. that's what they do. They would well, absolutely do it like that. Or the Captain or Captain America. <clears throat> Yeah, but both absolutely. of those films, those are real body doubles. Those aren't like okay, but th- that's yeah. not CGI to be that then. Yeah. But yes, they would probably CGI him to be that. And he's yeah. no, and he, I know he's come out and said that he would never do that for role again because he went obviously after this movie, he goes straight into Batman Begins. And he had to put on all that muscle, and then he gained all that weight for Vice, and he all right. he had a heart attack, and he had a. So he was like, "I'm not doing this again." Well, for Batman Begins, because it was filming that same year that this was released, he had to bulk up real fast and i remember in an interview he said all he ate was bread and then yeah and so when he did his stunts and batman begins he'd be out of breath and panting and just he would always feel like crap because he didn't get in shape the right way right all he did for this movie is a can of tuna and an apple and he took up smoking for this movie to curb his appetite but then i also so i also have a note here that there's a biography out there that was written by his former assistant and they say in his daily diet consisted of water and apple and one cup of coffee per day with the occasional whiskey. So, right. I mean, whatever. It, obviously, it, it was he didn't eat a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, coffee zero calories. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also that curbs your appetite as well. Coffee. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he, he smokes in the movie. So true. You know. So that being said, because <laughs> that's primarily what the movie's known for. Exactly. But there's so much more to the movie. It's like, that's just an aesthetic choice that they made. Well, I think that when people think of, yeah, they, when you talk about, hey, the machinist, oh, I never saw that. Oh, didn't you get really thin for that? Yeah. And it's like, but you need to know that it, there's a lot more going on in this movie. Right. It's not just about that. Uh, and this is now, this was the first time you watched it. This was the first okay. time I watched it as right. much like everyone else. I just knew it for him. being. There you go. Thin. So this is the, this is the second or third time I've seen it. And I will say this, that I, there's a lot more, there's a lot of stuff I picked up on a little bit more now. And I actually, I dig it a lot more than I did maybe back then. I think this is what, what early 2000s. 2004. So I'm blowing through movies. I'm watching movies. Oh, that was good. Let's what move on. Let's what, you know, this is the time of the, the quote unquote movie night you used to have all the time. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I believe it was one of those times we used to what we watched it, but I really like this film. I really like what it's doing in this film. I love Hitchcock. So it's obviously a lot of Hitchcock, uh, undertones oh, in this movie. I'm watching. I'm just like, this is a Hitchcock movie. Well, the, 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 uh, the score is basically an homage to Bernard Herman. Uh, or Bernard Herman from uh, all the Hitchcock movies that he's done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so they're basically, they're not pulling it completely. They're not saying like, let's just use that score, but they are using elements that are in homage to that score. So you, you get that immediately. 
Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Right. So aside from the aside from his his his, his appearance, yeah. Uh, what is something that maybe that jumped out at you uh, more? Like what you liked about the movie aside from his appearance? I actually liked his character quite a bit. I enjoyed the character of uh, Tre- Trevor Resnick. I thought he'd be this weirdo gaunt. He looks like a weirdo gaunt. Gaunt yeah. weirdo that just like kind of just. You don't feel for. I, that's what I was afraid of while watching this movie. Like, am I going to actually care about that character? But his character is actually very kind, very loving, very nice to Stevie, the pretty prostitute. He's very nice <laughs> to Marie, the waitress at his diner, her son. Uh, he's just a very like kind guy. Like when the accident happens with Michael Ironside and, and Miller's arm gets ripped off, he completely fesses up. It was my fault. I leaned on the machine. You know, he accidentally rips off Miller's arm by accidentally leaning on a machine Miller's working on. And he he turns it off. on. The yeah. emergency switch doesn't work. And he apologizes. And he even comes right up to Miller and apologizes to his face. So I enjoyed those moments because I hate a film that's got this tone. So many films like this that have this kind of tone, this dark, just foreboding tone, have characters you can't feel for, especially if at the end you find out some kind of terrible secret about the character. So often it's just like, I don't care about him though. Mm -hmm. In this movie, I think I, I do enjoy his character. I do want to see him kind of overcome whatever is going on in his mind. Right. He's, he's definitely a good guy. Just something happens in his, uh, so we're seeing the tail end of his mental breakdown. breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. But it's his own, it's his own mind. That's, um, He's he's ignoring something that is that he has done, and his his mind is trying to get him to do the right thing. It's right, trying to get him and and but he's perceiving him as somebody's watching him, somebody's after him. You know, he people are lying to him, so he's becoming increasingly increasingly uh, paranoid about everything, everybody, right. and everything in his life. And it's been so long he hasn't slept that he can't even remember the. Uh, inciting action that right. has caused all this. He's created a person in Ivan that is is him. Right. But it is but it's him in the evil that he has done, but it's him also telling trying to get him to do the right thing. Like everything's and there's so many uh references in this movie about going left or going right, about going left is the highway to hell, going right is the road to it's salvation. salvation. Yep. And then you start realizing uh, like when you start getting into the script and when he's driving up and going to the left is the airport and going to the right is downtown. Where's the police station at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and there's my also note that I have here with that is that. So the left has always been in terms of, I get, I guess in ancient times and also modern, like, you know, unlucky, but also like ominous and evil, like, you know, the, the, not where you're supposed to go. Right. You know, so both when you meet his, um, Alter ego Ivan, uh, the the man that he's created, and he's got the bum left arm. He always so, turns left when he right. follows him in the road. Miller lost his left hand. You know, when you look at the photo, Ivan's standing to the left. You know, if you look, if you notice Ivan's eye, his left eye is bright blue. His right eye is not. His right eye is dark brown. Uh, you uh, Resnick blinks with his left eye a couple of times in the movie. Yeah, he only blinks left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Marie's kitchen is last door on the left. Yep. What's funny is that she's like last door on the left. And I go, Hey, last house on the left. That's what I'm I like, was thinking. Dang. <laughs> Stevie's bruise on her face is on the left. The hangman game. Yeah, he's from right the, to left. Every, yeah, yeah, exactly. When he's you, hanged on the left too, which is always weird. Well, when you notice when he writes in Miller, his the, left, the arm left arm is, arm is missing. missing yeah. yeah. So, but that, like, 
that just makes me like the movie even more just the just because of the care and attention that's gone into all that the one thing i thought was weird though is when trevor gets his hand stuck in the machine much like miller yeah it's his right hand true i thought that was a little weird i was like that should have been his left hand too but it's true that's true yeah but um, that's reality you know what i mean right and i'm sure they were looking at the machine going well i mean it's facing this way and his buttons on the other side so true kind of stuck doing it right yeah that's true but still i think you have a lot of these these things that are these these nuggets that are in there and and upon second watch like if you didn't catch them the first time you watch second watch it kind of makes you appreciate the film a little bit more oh absolutely yeah i also one of the other things with the film that I, i was curious about with you in terms of what you thought was like the movie is desaturated to the point where it becomes almost black and white at moments. The only thing that's color is really the car, the car. But I think that anything that is not bright in and of itself, right. Doesn't come through. Like, especially this first scene when he meets Ivan, like when they're the close-ups of in the car with, Oh yeah. There's, there's like no he's almost black all, and yeah. white. Absolutely. Like, yeah. So this movie is super desaturated and I don't know if, if it was just the choice of how they wanted to present it. I think it was two things. I think it's to make it look more like Los Angeles to desaturate it, to make it look less like Spain, but also to kind of, yeah, give you this, the colors drawn out. It's gone. It's as tired and worn out as Trevor is. Mm-hmm. I think that was the point in taking away the the color, but also to make things like the firebird pop and stuff like that. Cause there's only a few times that color really pops. And it's the firebird. It's the blue beetle. Um, as the blood at one point coming the blood. out of the fridge. Uh, both times. Well, every time you see the fridge. Sometimes the blood's really dark. It's though. dark red. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, when he opens it up and all the fish heads come out and you, you know, you don't, you don't understand the, the symbolism of the fish. They're in Marie's apartment. They're, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're on his bumper sticker, which you don't get until he yeah. gets hit. Um, you don't really understand that until you realize that he's in the photo. He's a fisherman. It's him. Like it's, it's just, he's in his mind. He's right. Just, you, yeah, know, yeah. you know, that, that all that uh, real quick. Cause we should talk about what the inciting incident is. And, and <laughs> cause before we move on, sure. spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so you find out that in the beginning, uh, the a year before this, and I'm curious when they shot this, they just digitally make him look fatter. I was wondering too, did they shoot it before they filmed it or after and then they he's like, go it. lose the weight. Well, he's kind of looking Batman at that point. All big you think he came loaded. back. So and, I think he came back and did it. Okay. So you find out that, you know, he, cause he keeps going to the airport and he keeps having the waitress, which is Marie. Right. And then she has a son and he goes on like a date with her to the, to the son and, and, to you the know, park, right. Yeah. But you would, but you keep seeing images of, and they keep showing the water tower image when she's running and they re- repeat that when the kid has epilepsy mm-hmm. and has the merry-go-round, like, but you keep seeing images like he knows her, but he doesn't know her. And when he goes to the when he goes to the airport diner at towards the end, it's she doesn't work there. She's never worked there. It's a different waitress, and, and he's never even talked. He's, to her. Never he's talked been to silent. her, right? He just sits there and he's mute. So you find out that a year ago, he's driving and he's trying to light his light his his cigarette, mm-hmm. and he looks down. He looks up, and he actually hits the kid and kills the kid. Yep. And Marie is the mother and, she, and he doesn't know her name. He, and she's running to the kid and you kind of, you know, taking care of him. And he drives off. He just, he, he's up to hit and run. He takes he off. Freaks out, runs off. Right. Yeah. And the subsequent year is him 
kind of dealing with not fessing up to what he did. It's the guilt. Yeah. The yeah. guilt is literally killing him. Right. He can't, right. he can't sleep, which is impossible to not sleep for a year, but he can't sleep. He has 11 days and something hours. Is yeah. The, that's the part the of the Stanford one, experiment yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't sleep. And if he goes to the right, which is the police station, he always goes to the left. Like, so basically the reason why he's going to the airport all the time is because he's going down that same what he makes a choice and he always chooses to go to the airport but he never leaves because right. he, he because marie is almost his conscience as marie is a part of ivan who's his conscious making him stay you know telling him to stay yep uh so so he, so when you know that and you start and you and then you realize and you go back to the movie and you just you kind of like are just following you, I, he becomes an immediately be, i mean I, I don't want to say he's sympathetic because obviously he had a hit and run. He made a bad decision. Obviously, two bad decisions. He hit, not looking up when he's driving and obviously right. just taking off, not owning up to it. But you, you kind of there is a sympathy to what's happening to him. I think, right? Right. I, I think so. I mean, he feels bad for what he did. Right. I mean, it was a mistake. Yes, he's a generally, he's a good guy. Right. Right. He made a mistake. I mean, to, like he, it's not like he was speeding or anything like that. The kid stopped in the middle of the road to pick something up, and he just wasn't really paying attention. It wasn't like he had a red light or whatever. He would no doubt be in trouble. He would no doubt be charged with manslaughter. Oh, sure. Uh, and, and you know, whatever it is. But I mean, now he's serving way more time for. Uh, pit run. I don't know. I mean. For not fessing up to it. Yeah, he'd serve. More is time. that you, you're going to. Yeah, I, I guess. But he. Uh, but yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. That, that's that's the machinist, too. Which we, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, but I think you it's because, like you said, like he's a likable character in the movie when stuff happens and, and you talked about how, you know, he apologized to Miller and all that stuff. Right. And, but then when you realize that he's been punishing himself for a whole year because he knows what he did was wrong, you almost want him to, you want to see his character, you know, get to the end and kind of like do the right thing. Is what oh, absolutely. You know absolutely. what I mean? You are, you start, so maybe not sympathizing with him, but empathizing and trying to, maybe that's a better yeah, term. Yeah. Empathizing is a much Trying to, um, you know, root for him to do the right thing. Like, you know, well, yeah. yeah. If yeah. I found out he took the the left and went to the airport and took off, I'd have been very disappointed in the end of this film. Which they do a nice job of. And I, I already knew that he already did it. But when they had the audio cue and he walks into the police station and you just see the doors, but you hear the airplane sound in the, the background. background he's supposed to give you the idea. Yeah. Um, the first time he goes to the police station and he's trying because he gets hit by the car because he's trying to get. He's going to say that, oh, this car hit me. He, was he trying wants to get find the, out the owner of the Firebird, yeah. Right, which is his, you find out it's his car. But the cop, like, I know it's a movie, but I'm thinking to myself is nobody's getting this guy medical attention? I thought the same thing. The first note was no, no cop would do that if you walk in and you're bleeding all over the floor. I was just hit by a car. You'd be like, uh, can yeah. I get an, uh, an like, ambulance here? Does fill this, this out. Right now? The guy's yeah. like, just fill out this form. I was like, what? No. And then when the tech, tech, tech comes out and he's like... Hey, this is your car. And then he just leaves and he's like, get him. He's like chasing after him. It's yeah. like, wouldn't, don't you, I mean, why do you, why do you immediately think that he's being uh, shifty? Maybe he has a concussion. Look at him. Like it's so exactly. Were, but yeah. I get it's a movie. So I really you realize it's a felony to lie to the police. He's brain damaged. <laughs> now look at him. He's obviously something's wrong. And then, yeah. the, then he's chased. We just want to talk. It's yeah. like, mm, you, do you just want to talk. Cause you're chasing him pretty yeah. soon. You wouldn't have chased him this far. Yeah. <laughs> So, but again, I understand it's. A I movie, also so. like that while they're chasing him, that hallway for the subway tunnel is eight thousand feet longer for the cops than it was for Resnick when he's running. Power of movies. As he's yeah, as he's trying to get the magic. thing open. Oh, 
Uh, uh, and they're running like five minutes. It's movie magic, man. Just like when he goes into the Ender parking garage and he pulls out and like every the, the entire ground is wet. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I know why it's wet because you sprayed it down so you can get the reflection. That's I right. get that. That's what it looks like. I go, but how did it rain inside the indoor parking garage? <laughs> <laughs> it's a crappy garage. <laughs> I like the fact that, um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Hang on. So we talk about the Hitchcock stuff. Mm-hmm. And What's funny is that the Hitchcockian feel was done later in post-production was not even, it wasn't even something they maybe they really considered while shooting the movie, but in the edit, they were like, you know, this is kind of a Hitchcock. Right. And so I'm, I'm sure that's where the score came from. And, and they maybe they have a lot of editing that. choices too, that are very Hitchcock. Go for it. Toward the end, the him driving toward the end when it's dark outside when he's following Ivan have a lot of those, those fades where you see him driving, but you also see the cars following, mm -hmm. which is very indicative of the style of the fifties and sixties of a lot of the Hitchcock films and just those kind of films in general, mm -hmm. which you, no one does that kind of stuff anymore. The overlay fades. Mm -hmm. uh, writer, producer, Scott Krupp refers to this film as the last movie Alfred Hitchcock would have ever made. Which so, I love that quote. Yeah. I think it's a great quote. Uh, and if the name sounds familiar, uh, the writer, Scott Kozar, is a big fan of Nine Inch Nails. And so that is why it's Trevor Resnick, just like Trent uh, Trent Resnick. I always wondered that because I had read the synopsis. I knew his character's name and I was mm -hmm. like, that's really close. <laughs> and if you don't listen to Nine Inch Nails, because, you know, that there are 90s bands. So I can understand if some people are a little older that uh, Trent Resnick has scores a lot of films now and he actually scores a lot of David Fincher films. So you've heard yeah. his, you've heard his music if you're into movies. Um, and I think he won an Oscar for social network, something he did. I want yeah, to, I'm pretty sure he's won an Oscar for, for a score. His, his scores are really good. Oh yeah. I like yeah. The, the score for a girl with the dragon. They're unique, awesome. which is nice. They're unique. And you know, like you can, you, I know obviously John Williams is somebody you, everyone, you recognize his, his work and stuff like right. that. But like you definitely, like I always recognize Danny Elfman scores. Mm -hmm. Resnick is one of those other, I know he does it with somebody else, but I, he's one of those other guys that like, like, oh, that's a Resnick score. Right. Yeah. I think that the movie needs that Hitchcock feel and that needs that Hitchcock score. Do you think it wouldn't be good if it wasn't <laughs> the, as good? As I'm watching way? the movie, the, at the very beginning of the movie, I was like, this score really doesn't fit this movie okay. and then as it really got into the mystery and i was like oh wait this is a hitchcock movie uh i started to really appreciate the score more but also i think the score and uh adds a classic feel and a i don't want to say a lightness but more of a movie feel and it gives you less of a downer beat than if it was like like a cinema like you're watching a cinema yeah film. it was a trent reznor or a um you're just a low-key like synth kind of mark snow x-file score it would just be so much of a downer by having more of that classical instrument kind of orchestration yeah like you said makes it a cinema makes it a movie kind of takes you out enough that it doesn't bring you down so you like the fact that it it feels cinematic the score elevates it to the point where you feel like you're watching a story which is which is a is definitely a good note it's you know there's nothing wrong with sitting down and, and you're like you're watching a story you right. know it's a story rather than like you're I think you're right. I think if, if something, this movie could easily get you immersed into that world yeah. and, and could kind of like, cause sometimes films, when they do, when they get, they, they lean more towards realism and they lean towards more like this is life and the experience you kind of do, you, you kind of start 
feeling those feelings too when you're watching the movie. So like kind of like when you watch a film and and you're you're like, oh, it's such a good movie, but I can never watch it again because like I'm so depressed. Road. <laughs> yeah. But like I understand what you're saying. Those right. films are good. They're they're really good for when when you watch them and, and some people can go back and rewatch them, but a lot of times it's really difficult because it's just because you are part of that story. You become part of that world. Yeah. Right. You can't be taken out. There's nothing that gives you that 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 wall. Right. That screen. And I can see that I can see where this movie would without that score, maybe. I, I definitely think the score is probably the biggest reason why you're able to separate yourself and realize that you're watching right. something unfold in front of you and you're being told a really well a good story. Um, but I can de- if they didn't have that, I can definitely see somebody kind of like eh, it's kind of a downer, like you know, getting depressed about that it. That would probably be my yep. reaction to the movie. Like interesting story, but oh yeah. It's tough because he, because of his physical appearance, he just looks like somebody that is somebody you don't want. You, you like, you, you don't, you wouldn't hang out with. Right. Yeah. He, he, you know, like I, it was tough for me to, when he's with, uh, I'm going to call the pretty prostitute again. Stevie. When he's with Stevie and she's basically like, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll leave this world life behind for you. Right. I'm like, I really like, I don't, I don't get the attraction to I, him. I also didn't buy that. Yeah. And yeah. then he does like the gaunt, like sucked in stomach, weird that dance, was, which obviously is one of the other things the movie's known for. Cause that's the image that's everywhere. Yeah. That and the image of him looking back because the, the posters, the that's, him looking that's through the, 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 poster, the end. Yeah. 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 I just like Marie is different because Marie is a figment of his own imagination is his own conscious conscience. And he's clothed and he laughs and smiles, but it's, but it's different. It's like his, it's, Oh, his, you know, yeah, yes. Stevie's real. Stevie's somebody who's a real person. I don't get the attraction to him. I don't because he doesn't look like he looks like he looks like death. Well, yeah, but he's nice to her. And we don't know how long Trevor's been going to Stevie. True. Yeah. This, but well, that's true. That's very we true. We know he's been losing weight throughout this whole year. And even if he's only been seeing Stevie throughout the year to get to kind of forget his grief for you know mm-hmm. an hour or two right uh she saw him at first when he was less you know disgustingly skinny I, yeah i mean i would imagine he was he obviously he's become more antisocial uh you know and, and they even he, mentioned that in the movie he used to play poker and be like you know, that's the thing guy. he's the, the guys know him yeah the, the guys knew him before the how he is now you with i mean and you kind of get that from his boss who's like oh yeah drugs like that kind of stuff but but it's like None of his other guy friends, uh, his friends that work there will ever say like, hey, man, what's going on with you? Nobody nah, they're too gruff. They're all machinists, yeah. man. They don't care. <laughs> used to play poker. Used to be all right. Still a weirdo, but you're all right. Still a weirdo. <laughs> so Anderson wanted this film to have the same visual expressionistic feel as the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Nosferatu, Vampire, and I Walked with a Zombie. Did you see any of those films? Uh, almost all of them. Yeah. Okay. So do you think that that's what he got? I mean, I could get the Nosferatu angle from Trevor a... because he's just kind of gross and gone. I guess. Yeah. But that could be where that could be where the desaturation comes in in terms of black and white. Yeah. I mean, Nosferatu plays a lot with shadow. True. Uh, Cagliari is 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 very Tim uh, very Tim Burton, very expressionistic, very a different surreal world. And I don't think that that is what the machinist puts you in. Mm-hmm. The machinist puts you in a a real world, a gross, disgusting, very David Fincher esque world. 
very similar to like seven, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't see the cabinet of Taka Cagliari as, as one of those. Well, when they when they Cabinari go to the either. when they go to the amusement park, mm-hmm. like obviously, oh the Route sixty six mm-hmm. thing. Not even that. When they go to the amusement park and he's there with Marie and the and then the, her son, right? That's not really happening. So where is that happening in his mind? Is he in his apartment thinking that? One of my notes is that some of the story beats with him imagining things is very convenient. Well, they also don't really go show you what the reality is. So they don't show you like ever like him walking around the apartment amusement park by himself. You know what I mean? Right. You know, they never show that, which I think if they did that, then they're kind of. It's too soon to clue people in on that. So I don't think you want to do that. Oh, absolutely. But you. So he's never at the amusement park. He's just sitting at home. It's not as. It's definitely trying to be kind of a sixth sense kind of moment. Well, I was going to, I was just going to say that. Would you have preferred something where at the end of the movie, when he realizes that it's him, that they go back like they do in the sixth sense when you see him talking to nobody? No, because the sixth sense had already come out. So that would absolutely just be completely ripping that off. I don't need you to go back, but I would want to wonder and go back i mean and i still do want to go back and rewatch it knowing what i know but i think if there were more moments where oh yeah okay was anybody reacting to him because when he comes out of route 666 everybody's reacting to him bringing the kid out everyone's like looking at him and wondering what's going on you know it's not like it's not like it's not happening or it's not like he's being ignored Mm -hmm. except for one time in the bar when he's with ivan and ivan goes make it a double and he's getting the whiskey poured and he's like laughing and the bartender just doesn't look at the weirdo laughing next to him. Yeah. He just keeps looking straight at Trevor. That's the well, only moment you get where it's like, this isn't real. Well, they do. But also we talk about the sixth sense and that was 99. They do the same stuff in fight club with 99 and they do the same stuff where you, you go back and you see uh, Edward Norton's character talking to himself, punching himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, and he says like, sometimes I imagine myself there. Sometimes I imagine I'm watching him do things. Although you kind of do need with, when there's a double character, you kind of do need that. You well, need to see Edward Norton punching himself. Right. But back to the machinist, I didn't understand why the kid had the epileptic fit, like where that fit into his psychosis or his, his world, his head. Oh, cause his eyes are back and his head is down. No, no, Maybe no, it's no. like him being dead. I meant, I meant, I'm sorry. I meant, why did Trevor Resnick Associate. in the movie do that? Why did he create the kid, make the kid have epileptic fit? Because he hit him before. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was curious why that, why they did that. Why that moment's in there. To have the kid basically quote unquote die, but not really be dead. And then he's driving them home. Cause he's driving them home. If he died in route 666, that would be a whole nother layer of the story that would just take you out of it but him having a seizure at least kind of mimics being dead so he starts having it when they take the left to go to highway to hell so when they go maybe that's why it happens yeah as soon as he goes toward the left he has that seizure because as soon as they go to the left the lights start flashing yeah all right yeah i mean but man, that that horror house, man, <laughs> that's a little hardcore. I mean, but again, that could be his imagination, right? It starts pretty normal and innocuous yeah. at first, then he's like, "See the hangman, yeah, the hangman on the." That's a little scary. Yeah, the, I get that. When you realize that it's him, I, I almost, I almost want a shot. I almost wanted something where they go back to that scene, or they just go back to that amusement park, and it's it's not open, like it's decrepit, like it's oh, down, yeah. and he's just there. By himself. But again, I understand why you don't put it in there. I understand why you don't put it in there in the, in the beginning uh, in terms of, cause then it kind of like, what's going on? 
but they kind of do that with the water tower when she's running and then the, and then the uh, merry-go-round behind her, the same movement of her running to the, to the child when he's right, having yep. the epileptic fit. So they kind of do do that. Uh, so yeah, I just, I wonder if I would have, if it would have bothered me as much if they did something at the end of the movie where they kind of showed, you know, cause they kind of do it with the picture when she's like, I'm looking at you and they show the photo and it's not Ivan. Anymore. Right. It's him. Him, yeah. yeah. Which I kind of, you kind of guess that pretty quickly. Right. Do you like the way it ends? Yeah, I do like the way it ends. He goes, he takes the right, he goes to the police station, he admits he did wrong and He's finally starting. I'm at the very end. He's finally starting to fall asleep, Mm -hmm. which is what you, what the whole beginning of the movie was supposed to be about. He He can't can't sleep. sleep. He can't sleep. He can't. She goes, I like that line for a year, Stevie. Jesus Christ. I tried him too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I like that because it harkens back to what the whole movie has been about is his insomnia. The fact that he can't sleep, Mm -hmm. that now he is his, the weight has been lifted. And he can finally fall asleep, but mm-hmm. it's in that stark, empty prison cell. But the prison cell also is very bright and well lit. He's asleep. wearing white clothes. Yeah. It's almost like he's ascended, even though he's like the guilt has set you free mm-hmm. or the truth will set you free kind well, of thing. It's definitely not a Los Angeles PlayStation. Oh, no, not <laughs> that prison is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I mean, I one of my notes was like, uh, did they just find the worst places in Barcelona to shoot? That's what they said. That's yeah. what they said. That there's a scene where they park a car. I think it's when he's driving Marie and her son back home. And in the reflection, you see two people shooting up heroin. Oh, right. They yep. really are shooting up heroin because there's terrible, terrible mm-hmm. filming locations. I also like to note that apparently it was so hot that everybody was like in misery. Everybody was miserable shooting in Spain, except for Christian Bale. Yeah. Because he had lost so much weight. He was actually dealing with the heat a lot better than anyone else. On it, set. He made a comment. I didn't write it down, but I know he made comments about how having all that weight off. He was like in a euphoric, oh, euphoric state. state all the time. Like, yeah. That's not great, Christian. I'm sure something was going on there. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it, but like you're talking about how like you probably weren't eating, you know, your body's like just consuming its own muscle uh, muscle and and protein and energy, like stuff that it doesn't, it's not supposed to consume. So no, you're not, that euphoric state is not good. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he was doing that uh, skinny guy dance the whole time (sighs) between takes because he was just losing his mind. That just reminded me of like uh, Schindler's List or something like that or the Holocaust. I was just like, I was like, come on. The one thing you mentioned that it's only like two months shooting schedule. I I can't see him going beyond two months shooting this movie. Well, it's really there's, there's not a lot of characters, and there's really I mean oh, I they, get that, that, but I mean with his weight, I can't see oh, him keeping that right. up for that long. I know that the apartment is his apartment, and also Stevie's apartment, like they or Maria's apartment. One of them, they they kind of doubled it up. I know that. Oh, to fake it? Yeah, yeah. They moved it around or something like that. I, I'm pretty sure maybe Marie's apartment because this is always only the one. And yeah, Stevie kind of has like a lower level thing. Um, all right. So I guess, well, I, then I'll ask the question. <laughs> Why do you think that, you know, it's forgotten? You think people are scared of his of his thinness? I think his thinness <laughs> maybe turns people off. You look at it and you just go, that's gross. I'm all right. And he's Batman by that point that everybody started realizing the machinist was out. He's Batman the next year or even that. No, the next year, 2005 or six. Uh, might have to check on that. I was definitely still in high school when that came out. <laughs> Batman Begins. And I think people 2005. just... 2005, yeah. So the next year he was Batman. So then you see this and it's just kind of like a curiosity. And you know, the, I think the only thing that people know about this movie is he got real skinny. And they know this the poster image of him looking behind his back. And they know the image of him doing that weird dance thing. And that's really it. 
And it hasn't been available for streaming until just recently on Netflix. Do you think that when he came out with Batman and then obviously the Dark Knight was coming right after that and his star was obviously catapulted that the, the studios chose to not or not push it? chose to kind of like, Hey, don't talk about it too much. Do you think it just kind of was a byproduct of his fame? I think it's a byproduct. I think that it, they goes, like I said, it's a curiosity. Yeah, maybe his fame catapulted it to be known because it is a small indie film. So I think it got known, but not watched. Mm-hmm. People were like, Oh, okay. But I'm not really that curious. Cause he looks gross. But like, what about like, I mean, this is, this is a rough comparison, but the movie drive with Ryan Gosling, you know, he did that movie, right? It's, it's a smaller film, but then obviously he goes off and just starts doing bigger films. But Drive's not ignored. Or are we too close to that? I think we're close to it being ignored okay. now. Really? Um, I think so. Okay. The thing about Drive, though, is... It's also an L.A. film. It's, it's not an LA shot film. in Spain. It looks clean. It's well shot. It's clearly got some money behind it, even though it, it doesn't have that much money behind it. Right, right. Uh, it's pa- it was packaged in a way that wasn't so independent. This looks like an independent film. This looks downtrodden. You look at it and look like it looks like seven because of the tone, because no one knows it's actually a Hitchcock film. No one knows it's more of a mystery. Mm-hmm. It really just looks like some kind of weirdo horror thriller kind of a movie. And mm-hmm. it really isn't. It's really more of a mystery. It's got that Hitchcock feel, but that look and feel and tone and Christian Bale make it look like a gross movie that people maybe don't want to watch. Yeah. Or in 2005 would rather watch Saw, would rather watch The Grudge. I mean, The Grudge was really big, even though it didn't spawn a billion sequels. Still had two sequels. Well, the original, the Juan, is that what it's called? I think that's what the, it's based the on. Japan, the Japanese film? Japanese, yeah. yeah. No, then, it is based on, you know, I know that was really popular. But then, I mean, even The Grudge with Sarah Michelle Gellar did well. Yeah. And spawned two sequels. Saw spawned, you know, a bajillion. We're also, we're also by the huge. ring. We're also near the ring. Well, the ring is around here, too. Exactly. Yeah, Not, yeah. Uh, a little bit before. This is spooky horror time. Is what's yeah. Called. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that didn't hurt it when it came out and then Batman heard it more afterward and made it a curiosity, made it something that you would see in like Madame Tussauds kind of a thing in movie, uh, the hall of movies. Well, also, it might not appeal to people because it appeals to us because we're, we we like film. I think it would appeal to audiences now as well because it's a good mystery. I don't, but, but I, I don't, don't think it looks like that. I do, That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's a broad audience appeal movie. Do you think if it was repackaged a little bit? It's a, like... Maybe not the opening, not having the front cover look like him gone. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, change. Yeah, I think if the, I think I I think the poster doesn't help it. I think the poster is almost like it. It's the expressionist view that they're in the movie. I don't think it makes for a great poster. Right, and I it's not it, really the movie itself. Right, and I know that you're trying to highlight Christian Bale's in the movie, and you're not. I mean, you're going to put him on the poster now because he's he's superstar. Right. But no, I don't, I don't, but you don't want to reveal too much. So I don't, but I don't think it's a, it's not the best of posters. It's probably, probably. Yeah. I think apt. it needs like a Mondo poster, like one of those kind of uh, cool artistic posters. I will say that. I mean, I, I definitely think it needs like a, a not a re-release, but kind of like, you know, uh, what is it? 2004. So we're 17 years, like maybe a 20th anniversary in 2024. It definitely, oh, sure, it definitely needs like to, it definitely needs to be spoken about. If you're sitting down with Christian Bale and talking about his filmography, this is one of the movies you need to talk about. Not just because he got thin for it, but because it's a good movie. Oh yeah. Like the GQ videos where it's like uh, talking yeah. about your career kind of thing. Well, I mean, let me, t- I don't, I hate those things. I love those things. Uh, yeah. They're great. 
But when the actor has just been doing movies for four years, I don't need to see here about oh, his filmography. Yeah, I don't want Tom Holland to talk about Yeah, you, about haven't, his. Done, you haven't done shit. But there are some interesting, like the Jeff Bridges one is really Okay, good, fine, but, but Jeff Bridges has been in cinema forever. It. Yeah, but you know, yeah. it's what studios want to pay for. Yeah. I, but, I um, hear you. I hear you. I think that it being on Netflix now really helps it. I think that'll really help it. Well, it's on Netflix now. doesn't mean it's going to stay there. If it's Paramount Classics, I'm surprised it's not on Paramount Plus. Oh, that's true. Well, then it'll move to Paramount Plus and it'll still be at least on a service, whereas before it wasn't. Oh, sure. Because before I really had no way to watch this other than maybe renting, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to go personally seek it out, but when I saw it was on Netflix, it's been on my list for a couple months, mm-hmm. and now I got to watch it. But Good for you. It, I was going to watch it because it was on my list, so I think that helps. All right, cool. Because when you scroll by, being able to go, oh, I want to watch that. Like we talk, it's the video store. Uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's just not we're not in control of the browsing. The algorithm is, which sucks. I exactly. hate that. I, you know, it's like this. Yes, it's the modern day video store, but you're really not in charge of what you see because yeah, no one's going to. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of stinks. But you, you kind of want more of a, hey, let me browse myself. Touch. Yeah. 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 But hey, what are you going to do? All right. Butler, where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment franchise or entertainment family. Yeah, franchise. franchise. <laughs> you can also find us on the socials, Instagram, Facebook. Join us in the lobby where we have discussions about film sometimes. And uh, that's all I got. All right. And next week, we're traveling 20 years into the past, to 1984. We're going to talk about a little sci-fi romance in Starman. That was the score, I imagine. Uh, Over and over. over. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we'll see you next week. Uh, That's it. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.